0: We're going to turn now to, to God's Word, and, uh, and today we are deviating from our normal series. We've been going through First Samuel uh, during the fall, but um, uh, this week we're beginning a 30-day nomination period for church officers, that's elders and deacons in our church. And so if you're a member of Christ Church, you're going to get an email this week with a, a nomination form where you can uh, nominate uh, a man to serve in the offices of elder or deacon. And then also you can make some recommendations for uh, men and women to serve as diaconal assistants to, to uh, uh, serve alongside the deacons. And I'll just say that these officers play a huge role in shaping the vision and just the culture of who we are as a community. So it's really, I encourage you to be prayerful during this time uh, about who you think God might be calling. And I'll tell you, if you're visiting with us today, uh, uh, you might think, oh, this sounds like an insider sermon about, you know, this church's uh, leaders. And um, But I would, I would say um, uh, this passage that we're going to study together, I think just has really important insights about God's vision for his church. Christianity is a communal faith. There's communities like this all over the world where Jesus is gathering his people into a family. And so understanding how the church works is something we all need uh, to think about. And so I think this is a great passage for studying it. And so before we uh, jump into this passage, let me just give you a brief overview of how does someone become an elder or deacon in our church. And it's quite a lengthy process, about a year-long process. Uh, We begin with nominations. You all, as a congregation, say, here are people that I see that the Spirit is at work in and I'd love to see leading our church. And then those who are nominated receive a a letter that invites them to begin a process of self-vetting. So they pray and they ask the Lord, are you calling me to serve the church in this way? They go, you know, talk to their wife. Do you think... I should serve in this way, be honest with me, and they go ask their friends, you know what, how do you see my gifts and my character for serving in this way and get input from other people and so when they accept the nomination, then they're interviewed by our our current elders who who uh, kind of examine them to see if they uh, meet the qualifications. you know the Bible has some clear qualifications uh, for someone serving in that office. Do they meet those qualifications if they do, then they enter into a, a long uh, process of training where they have readings they do and they're serving alongside the current elders and deacons and they're meeting with the current elder the elders and deacons and then at the end of that time they have an exam Bible exam uh, they're kind of examined about the the vision of our church and alignment with the vision of our church and then um, at the end of that process we have an election and so the, the thing that's important about that we are a Presbyterian Church and that means that the congregation chooses the leaders I don't As a senior pastor, I don't even have a vote on who our elders or deacons are. I can't even nominate someone. It's the congregation who chooses this is who we think God is calling uh, to serve in this way. And those who are elected are then ordained and installed and... This is a, we, a lifetime uh, appointment. You know, it's, it's, you should think of it as very similar to me as a pastor. When I became a pastor, I got ordained. I was saying, I want to give my life to the service of the church. And when someone's getting ordained as an elder or deacon in our church, that's the same thing. They feel that same sense of burden and calling that this is what I want to give my life to is the service of the church. So today, we're looking at a passage from Hebrews 13 that describes the relationship— between the church officers, the leaders, and the congregation, the members of the congregation. How do they uh, relate to one another? And um, I think it's a really relevant uh, passage for our congregation. We've we've been through quite a lot in our uh, church over the last couple years and uh, a lot of changes in our leadership and a lot that we've been through as a community. And actually our elders are planning a congregational meeting sometime in the next couple months, probably in January to get our church members together to continue to talk and to answer questions and, and uh, continue to work together as a church community. But I thought this is a good opportunity to hear from God's Word about how the Lord envisions that church leaders and church members would relate to each other. It's a really uh, insightful and wise passage. So you, so uh, kind of a long intro there. We're going to follow along right there in, in Hebrews 13 in your, in your bulletin. And uh, this is the word of the Lord. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Which have not benefited those devoted to them. Uh, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go, to him outside the camp and bear the repro- reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the wisdom of your word and we pray that uh, you would uh, lead us to the model of our savior, Jesus, and that we would receive his, his grace and love with faith and that we would um, give our lives to him with obedience. And we pray that you would shape us as a community, give us health through the power of your word and um, we open our hearts and minds to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, I'd like to answer uh, three simple questions for us from this passage in Hebrews 13. This is what they are. What are the duties of officers to the members? Second, what are the duties of members to the officers? And third, how do we become a church like that? So three questions for us. What are the duties of officers to the members? Second, what are the duties of members to the officers? And third, how do we become a church like that? I think it's a very practical sermon for us as a community, so I'm glad we have the opportunity to study this together. So three questions. The first is this. What are the duties of officers to the church, to the church members? And three things I want to point out from this passage, okay? First answer to that is that the elders guard the doctrine of the church. The elders guard the doctrine of the church. And the word doctrine just means teaching. The elders make sure that the teaching is sound and healthy. And, uh, and I, want, uh, I really want us to realize, or I really want to emphasize how important this is, That throughout the Bible, whenever God's people deviate from the clarity of what God's word says, it always goes poorly for God's people. Things always fall apart. All kinds of sins go rampant. People hurt one another. And so we need uh, men, elders in the church, to guard the doctrine of the church. And how do they do that? Well, there's a few ways that this passage mentions it. First, they do it by simply speaking the truth. You see it there in verse 7. Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Now this is largely done by pastors, is what I'm doing right now, is speaking to you the word of God. And it's, it's very important that we have, for churches to have a plain statement of what God's word says. And it's not just the like warm and happy places of the Bible that we want to hear about. It's every part of God's word that we say it plainly. Whether it's something that we want to hear or that the culture wants to hear, we have to say plainly what God's word says and be bold and and courageous enough to do that and trust that God's word is good and true and beautiful. And so, so we have to speak the truth in order to do a second thing, to defend the church against false teaching. And you see that there in verse nine where it says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Now this has been true throughout history. I mean, the, you know, in the ancient world and just as much as today, there's all kinds of new teachings, new ideologies that are always kind of coming out. And maybe you find that, you know, you read some new author and you're just like, they have figured out my life and finally this is going to answer all my problems. And, uh, and the church has to have the courage to say when something is not biblical, it might sound right. It might feel good. It might uh, seem helpful, but if it goes against God's word, we have to say no to it. And, uh, and so the elders speak clearly the word of God in order to defend the church against false teachings. But then you say, well, what's the opposite of false teaching? You know, if we're not doing false teaching, what does healthy teaching sound like? Well, this passage, the, the last thing about how we guard that is, is to focus the church on the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is the opposite of false teaching. You see that there in verse 8, where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Which basically says you never move on from the teaching of Jesus Christ. Like, he is the the good doctrine. So that's why every Sunday we should be hearing about Jesus Christ, hearing about the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I love what it says there in the second part of verse 9. It's a great little phrase. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That's what the experience of coming into Sunday's And singing to God and hearing God's word and coming to his table, you know, being in home groups is that our hearts would be strengthened by grace, by one another. And what this means then is when we're nominating elders, electing elders, we want both elders who understand the Bible and understand theology so that they can defend, you know, good doctrine. But also they should be clothed with grace. They should be people who speak to us grace, who love grace and show grace to the congregation, That's what we're looking for. And so what are the duties of church officers? First is that elders guard the doctrine of the church by speaking clearly God's word, defending against false teaching, and by focusing the church on the grace of Christ. Okay? Second duty of church officers is that both elders and deacons are to be an example of a Christ-centered life. But the elders and the deacons are to be an example to the community of a Christ-centered life. And uh, you see in verse 7 there again, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life. I love that phrase, the way of life, and imitate their faith. Now, this is a regular theme throughout the Bible is the way that you become mature in your Christian life is you find people who are more mature further along in their Christian faith. And you watch what they're doing or you ask them how they live their life and then do the same thing as them. <laughs> you know, uh, do the, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And in another book in uh, 1 Timothy 3 where it lays out all the qualifications for officers in the church, it says particularly where you should look for the for the leaders of your church is how do they act in their home? You know, because it often often happens in religious communities where someone, you know, seems very kind and loving or very godly publicly, but it's like, who are you in, in your home? You know, how do you relate to your wife? How do you relate to your children? What are those relationships? Because that's who you really are. And that's actually the training ground for caring for, you know, a flock like this is, you know, Paul says, if you can't, care for just a family? How are you going to care for a whole church? And so that's the place that we uh, look to first. And so we want leaders where people can say, I want to learn from uh, learn from them how to have a marriage like their marriage. I want to raise my kids how they're raising their kids. I want to have, I want to relate to people the way they relate to people or, or do my work the way they do their work. And, and people that I can ask, what do you believe about the Bible? And when they tell me what they believe, I can say, well, that's what I'm going to believe then. Because they seem like a mature and godly person. I trust them. And uh, this does not mean that our officers are perfect or without sin. I mean, I, I know that, certainly. We have sins in our homes. But how are those sins dealt with? Are they dealt with through the gospel? And is the gospel creating peace in the home? And so um, you can be a sinner and have a healthy marriage. Those two things are possible together. And so those are the questions we should be primarily asking when we nominate someone. Do we want a church full of people like this? Uh, Which also means that when we're nominating people, more than we care about their theology, how much book knowledge they have, more than we even care about their gifting and their abilities to do ministry, we care about their character. Character is the most important priority. So what are the duties of officers, is to guard the doctrine of the church and to offer an example of a Christ-centered life. And there's a third duty that we see in this passage is that elders and deacons keep watch over our souls. Elders and deacons keep watch over our souls. And you see that there in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'll tell you, if you're a church officer, I know for me as a pastor, these are very sobering words, that the Lord Jesus has entrusted to our care uh, precious souls, Jesus' blood-bought lambs. That's who you are. You are very precious to Jesus. And he says that when he entrusts his precious lambs to, you know, officers and pastors and elders and deacons, there is going to be an accounting, how did you care for them? And uh, this is one of the reasons that we have church membership, because the elders and deacons and pastors are going to have to give an account to Jesus. How did we care for the people that were entrusted to our care? And the officers need to know who are the people that were entrusted to our care. They need to tell us. Because it's not just any old Christian in Bellingham or even anyone that happens to visit the church. It's someone who says to us, I want you to have care over my soul. I want you to to love me. I want you to challenge me. I want you to uh, lead me into the truth. I want your influence in my life. And in our denomination, we have uh, two offices, elders and deacons. And the elders and deacons, you know, when you look at Jesus' ministry, his ministry had two parts to it. It was both word and deed. He was a teacher And then he would like care for people, you know, he'd heal people and care for the poor. And so there's these two elements of word and deed. And so when the church started, those two arms of Jesus' ministry kind of formed into these two offices of elders who are kind of word ministry, guard the truth and the morals of the church. And then there's the deacons who do the service side of the ministry, the mercy side of of the ministry. And actually in our denomination, the, the elders also have kind of branched off into two two kinds of elders. We have teaching elders. I, Matt and I, Pastor Matt and I are teaching elders. We're pastors. This is our full-time job. And then we have ruling elders who are, you know, have other jobs and they're kind of lay elders who, who have been ordained to serve as uh, elders to oversee and to govern the church and to shepherd the church. And, um, and I'll tell you that one of the areas that our elders are particularly wanting to grow in is in the shepherding of our congregation. The, the, uh, that connection, that relational connection to the congregation. It's something that we've been talking about at least for the last year or two. We've also received feedback from the congregation and we have a meeting just this Tuesday in two days. And so we're assigning to each of our elders uh, shepherding groups so that every member of our church can say, I know who my elder is. I can call them for counsel. I can call them for prayer. If I have a question about something that's happening in the church and uh, to create a better a connection between our elders, because this is our responsibility, is to watch over and keep watch over the souls of those that Jesus has entrusted to us. Now, one thing that's important for us as a congregation is that what we expect from our officers is only what the Bible expects from them. And our both our ruling elders and our deacons are volunteers who have full time jobs, they have families, and. I'm so grateful for them that the, their precious spare time they have goes to this community to care for this community, to make a community like this possible. And, um, and so in a church our size, there's no way that we, they can be expected to pa- pastor the way Matt and I do. Matt and I, this is our full-time jobs. So this is the only way we can do that. They can't know everyone the way that we do because this is our full-time jobs. But it's a tremendous blessing to a church community like this, to have officers like the ones we do. And so on the one hand, it's important for us to think of the gravity of being an officer. They're going to have to give an account to Jesus for their care for souls. It's also important for the church members to feel the gravity of your responsibility in this community as well. Responsibility to those officers. It's a two-way relationship. And so that leads to our second question. So we first said, what are the duties of officers to members? guarding the doctrine of the church, being an example of a Christ-centered life, and watching over the souls of the members. So our second question is, what then are the duties of the members then to the officers? And I want to point out four things from this passage, okay? The first is, the first duty is to follow their example. Follow the example of the leaders, and just as this passage calls the officers to be examples, it says to the members, look at the second part of verse 7 again, consider carefully the outcome of their way of life. It says look at the, the way of life of the people that God has put in your life who have maybe been in the faith longer than you. Or, or specifically, it says look at the outcome. It says look for fruit in their lives. People whose lives are fruitful. Find people whose lives are fruitful and then do what they do. And I think that many people, when they're thinking about their life, you know, what am I going to do for a vocation? Or, or if you're starting a family, how do I, you know, how do I uh, raise my children or something like that? In our culture, what we often do is we go online, we Google what we're looking for, and we find a guru or an expert or a blog to read about. Or even, you know, we go to a counselor. Like, and I'll tell you, I, I go to a counselor. My counselor lives in Alabama. He's great. He's really helpful to me. I, I know nothing about his family. I know nothing about his community and his relationships. I really actually don't know about the fruit of his life. Nowhere near like I know about the fruit of the people that are actually in my community. And what so many people in our culture do is we take as the people that are really shaping us people we don't even know. We don't even know how much fruit is in their lives. And, um, and, and, instead of asking the people that are right in the midst of, uh, uh, of our community that God has put in our lives. And uh, what a blessing to have a community of people with different ages and different spiritual matru- maturity. And of course, this is not just the officers, you know, the elders and the deacons, but we have all kinds of men and women in this church who have been walking with the Lord and have all kinds of fruit in their life. And to say to those people, can you help me Do, you know, I want to have a fruitful life like you. How do I have that? Ask them. And I know that for me, I've had key men in my life, key men and women in my life, throughout my Christian life who have played that role. You know, whether it's like, I'm thinking about my calling. What am I going to do? Am I going to be, I want to be a math professor or a, or a pastor. Which direction should I go? Or if I'm, you know, should I be a church member? I'd never been a member of a church. So what should I do that? And there are people that have been Christians longer than me. Or what should I believe about theology? What should I believe in this? And they would tell me what they believe. And I would say, you know what? You're a godly person. I'm going to do what you say. Or about how I'm going to raise my children. Or, or how, to, how to have a marriage or what I'm going to do with my money. I remember I was a graduate student and I asked a guy, I said, well, I'm a graduate student. I have two kids. Should I be tithing? And he's like, why wouldn't you tithe? Do you not, is God going to care for you? And he, he taught me about money and, and, and God has provided. and He's been faithful. That was good advice. And so the first duty of church members, God has provided examples to us. Follow the example, the pattern of their life, their way of life, and do it in, we should do it in our own lives, okay? So that's the first, uh, first duty, follow the example. Second duty, this passage says, is to submit to the officers so it is a joy for them to serve. Submit to the officers so it is a joy for them to serve. And you see that there in verse 17 where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Now we live in a generation that's very suspicious of anyone who has authority or or power. And I imagine for some of you, me even reading this verse, you know, hearing words like submit, obey, you know, alarm bells might be going off in your mind or in your nerves, like, oh, what are you gonna say about this? And I think it's a question, is it self-serving for a pastor to say, submit to our leaders so it's a joy for them? Is that self-serving? Well, the first thing you need to know is that I have to obey that too. I have to submit to the elders in our church. And I have to make it a joy for them to lead. And so, you know, if I bring an idea to our elders and they say, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> All right, submit. If I don't submit, their job is much more miserable. It's a lot harder on them. And, uh, and I think, you know, is it wrong for leaders to ask their people, would you make this a joy to be a leader? I don't think that's wrong. I love you. truly. Our elders and deacons love you. And I feel the love from you as well. We love each other. Let's make it a joy. This passage is teaching us how to make our life together a joy. And if you ask any leader what the hardest part of being a leader is, without question, any leader will tell you it is, it is criticism and grumbling. And you might say, well, sorry, pastor, that you have such thin skin. But if you're going to be a leader you're going to be more intensely scrutinized. Your decisions affect people more than the average person, and so it's part of the deal with being a leader that you're going to be scrutinized. And that's a fair point. Actually, that's why the Bible warns us, says not many of you should become teachers because you're going to be more strictly judged by God. And it's true that God judges shepherds severely who take advantage of people under their care. And that's why this says there's going to be an accounting We're gonna have to give an account for the souls that are entrusted to us. So I don't wanna lessen for a minute the requirements of godliness on our leaders that God takes very seriously. But also a repeated theme in the Old Testament is, you know, the people grumbled against Moses in the wilderness and God judged them for it. And we have to know that in a suspicious generation like ours, this is gonna be a huge temptation for us. And when a culture is, Ruthlessly critical of leaders in general. Do you know what happens in a culture when you, that happens? You don't have leaders. And this is a serious problem for the American church right now. Actually, I just got a call last week from a, there's a recruiter who's looking, they're looking for a church in Colorado. And he was, you know, are you interested in a new church? And I said, no, I'm happy where, <laughs> where I am. But this, this recruiter was telling me, he said 15 years ago, they, he would do hiring for a church and they'd get a hundred applicants. And now they can hardly get any applicants for people who want to be pastors in churches. No one wants to start churches no one wants to be pastors in churches. That is the fruit of the kind of culture that we live in. We have to know that. What's going to happen to the church, the American church, if we, don't have, if we don't have leaders? And I think it's interesting what the author of Hebrews says here. He says, the reason to submit and honor the elders and deacons is not for them. But he says, it's for you. It's for your sake. In the end of verse 17, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now you might wonder, well, aren't there pastors and elders and deacons that aren't worthy of obedience and honor? What if someone doesn't deserve obedience and honor? Should you still give them obedience and honor? Well, actually, uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on Hebrews, says the answer is no. And let me read to you what he says. He says, but it ought at the same time to be noticed that the apostle speaks only of those who faithfully perform their office. For they who have nothing but the title, right? So people are just a pastor in title, but nay, who use the title of pastors for the purpose of destroying the church, deserve but little reverence and still less confidence. And this also is what the apostle plainly sets forth when he says that they watched for their souls, a duty which is not performed but by those who are faithful rulers and are really what they are called. And so what he says is obedience and submitting is to people who are faithfully doing the work as leaders in the church. And the important thing for you to know is that your membership in this community is voluntary. And so if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to find pastors, elders and deacons. you say they're godly, they're defending the truth of the church. They're serving their communities and pouring out for their communities. And then once you find them, you voluntarily submit yourselves to them and say, Okay, I'm putting myself under your care. And part of the reason, again, that we have church membership, it's not only so the elders know, Oh, these are the people that I'm going to have to give an account for, but you also need to know the Bible says submit to your elders. Which elders are those? You don't have to submit to all pastors. You don't have to submit to all elders in the world. There are certain ones that you're saying, I'm putting myself under your care. And you need to know that. You're going to have to give an account for me, and I am going to have to give an account for my uh, honoring and following of you. Um, and I'll tell you, it is a gift. If our church knows, there are many leaders in this church. It's not just the pastors, not just the elders or the deacons. You know, we are, you know, director of children's ministry or director of music, the head of our school. Um, We've got, uh, you know, home group leaders and discipleship group leaders. and We've got committee chairs. We have all kinds of people serving in leadership. And we as a community should say, I want it to be a blessing. If anyone is taking that kind of responsibility and ownership, I want it to be a joy for them. I'm going to do what I can to make it a joy. And, you know, I was talking to my, my mom recently about this. My, my grandmother, Granny, she's called, she died at 103, used to say to my mother, Edith, just get along. Edith, just get along. And my mom is now 80, said there was wisdom in that. And she decided at one point in her life, she says, she said, you know, it's better to get along than to be right. And she said, you know, it doesn't mean I'm a doormat, but... This is a, an approach to family life and community life and relationships. And she says, 103 years and it's 183 years combined, says, This is wisdom, this is joy. And so, the duties of members to the officers follow their example, submit to them so that leading is a joy. Let me just point out two quick other ones. Okay. Third duty is be generous to the people in the church. See what it says in verse 16 do not neglect. To do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, as a community, we share with one another. And I'll tell you, for all that I know as a pastor, every time I hear, about, oh, so-and-so, you know, brought so-and-so a meal or, you know, or they, care, they cared for their kids and helped for their kids someday or, you know, or they met up with someone just to like go on a walk and hear about their struggling. I mean, I know that happens a thousand times in this community in ways that I don't even know about. It's a tremendous gift to the leadership. And I know it's dumb for me to think, well, what, pastor, you think you're doing all the ministry here? No, I, I know it's not true. The important ministry that happens here is your love for each other and the way you love each other makes, is a huge relief for the leaders. So be generous to the people in the church. And then the last thing is to pray for the leaders. That's what Paul asked for in verse 18. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So you have this picture of the relationship between the officers and the members the officers are guarding the doctrine of the church and they're living as an examples of a Christ-centered life so that people can follow their, their imitate their example and they keep watch over people's souls. And then the members are, are learning from the example and submitting to leaders so it's a joy. But, but more importantly, they're being generous and loving one another, doing the ministry for one another and, and praying for the leaders and for the health of the church. And so this leads to our final question is how do we become a church like that? How do we be, and we are that way in many ways, but how do we be a church like that? And I've spent a lot of time talking about the duties uh, as leaders and church members, but the heart of this passage is a number of verses, not about what we do for the church, but about what Christ has done for his beloved church. This is the church that he is more devoted to than any leader or any church member. He's devoted to us. And I don't have time to go through all the verses, but let me just highlight one there in verse 12 where it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And the word sanctify means to make holier, to make something devoted to God. And how do we become a community that's devoted to God so that the leaders wanna serve you and you wanna serve each other and serve the leaders? How do we become like that and this says that Jesus on the cross is the one who sanctifies us. And what that means is a healthy church is a gift of grace. The way we become a community where both the leaders and the people are devoted to God is through the gospel, through hearing over and over again, this is the grace that Jesus has given to us. And to hear that this isn't the elders' church, this isn't the deacons' church, this is not the pastors' church, this isn't even the members' church. This community belongs to Jesus. It's been, we have been purchased by his own blood. And the more we remember that, the more we joyfully embrace our duties to one another. And so may the Holy Spirit guide our church in this next season of officer elections, and may he keep us focused on the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this uh, community, and we thank you for the vision of the church. This was your idea, and you've called each of us here with different gifts, different ministries, and and Lord, would you help us to be a community where each of us gladly embraces the duties that you have assigned to us, and that we would know that it is pleasing to you that by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the joy of the gospel. Uh, we can serve you and serve one another and that others may come in here and experience the joy of the gospel. Help us to love one another, Lord, uh, that you may be pleased as you look down on us, your children. We pray in Christ's name, amen.